Well, this morning we're still talking about holiness and righteousness. I just don't know if it'll ever end. I mean, it could probably go on for 15 years because there's so much to tap into. And this morning the topic that we're going to be talking about is a topic that I have struggled with for years. I'm not kidding you. It's been a constant battle in my life. Um, God has been working in me and through me, on me. He has been stretching me. And the greatest thing that God has given me to battle the issue that we're going to be talking about this morning <laughs> is the, 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 uh, the crash of the symbol is a little bit premature. <laughs> Drum roll crash. The greatest gift that God's given to me for that is my wife. She's helped me more than I could ever tell you. Uh, she is a blessing from the Lord, and she has just really helped me out with this, this whole thing that we're going to be talking about this morning. And, you know, the great news is that I've been making progress over the years, really has. God has really been doing some great stuff, but I still mess up every once in a while. And every time I mess up, God calls me to repent. I repent, and Jesus says, you're forgiven. And then he says, let's move on. And I say, okay, because we're not going to dwell on what just got messed up. We're just going to move on. That's what grace does. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's not sticking back there in the mud pile and getting wallowing around in it. He pulls you out. He takes the fire hose. He cleans you off. And he says, let's move it along now. Nothing to see here. Let's go. And so that's what he does. And so this morning, um, we're talking about holiness again. And holiness is not so much what you don't do as much as to what you do do. What I mean by that is there, there may be a list of things that you have on things that you would never do. You have a line you say you would never cross. You have ethical and moral things that you say this will never happen in my life as long as I'm keeping an eye on it. I've got this list that I'm never going to, to step across. And you've determined that you're going to go to church as often as you can. That, that every time you get in your vehicle or you start to head for work, that commute becomes your prayer time. Whenever you can, you're going to make a, an opportunity to step in and read God's Word. And you do those things. And, and, and the crazy thing is, I know people who are not Christ followers, who have a list of things that they will never do. They also have moral and ethical principles that they'll uphold. And their church for them is the great outdoors. And they will pray to whoever's listening. Right? And they're really good people. And the sad reality is that there are people who are not Christ followers who actually live and act better than some Christ followers. And that's sad. Because we've experienced God's grace at a deep level. We've known firsthand the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives. We should be different. We should live different. We should look different. We should act different. But sadly, many of us aren't. Our unchurched friends, unchurched neighbors don't see anything about us that makes us different from them. And they're wondering, why in the world would I ever go to church? They're still the same old rotten person they've always been. They see us talking to our wives in a less than honorable tones. They hear us yelling at our kids. 
They watch us interact with difficult people and are appalled at the language we use with them. They hear us gossip about other people. They hear us tear down other Christ followers. And all the while, they're wondering, how has God and the church ever made a difference in these people's lives? Being set apart for God is is what being holy is. And how we're supposed to be different than those who are not walking with Christ. And the one area I believe creates the greatest gulf between us and non-believers and what they see in us is our carelessness with words. It becomes a point of contention with the unchurched. They're wondering... How can you talk like that? How can you say the things you're saying? How can those things roll out of your mouth so easily if you claim to be a Christ follower and if you claim to go to church and it's made a difference in your life, yet I don't see one little lick of difference in your life? Now, the good news is that Jesus and the apostles, they knew how words mattered. Our words matter. And so they've given us some instruction for, uh, for us, and it's going to make a difference in our lives. Matter of fact, in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders, the guys that were supposed to know better, here's what he said to them in Matthew chapter 12. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. It's out of the abundance of your heart. It's this, this, just this crazy thing. It doesn't matter what you proclaim. It's what your heart tells people. Your heart will give you away, just in case you didn't know it. It might be shocking some of you. The treasure of your heart is made evident by the words that come out of your mouth. Your mouth reveals the true identity of your heart. When you speak, your words will either produce good or evil. No neutral ground. It doesn't say anything about neutral ground. It's either good or evil. And when you speak your words, you're communicating what you think about God and God's work in your life. Now here is a trustworthy saying, It's not in the Bible, but it's still trustworthy. You cannot not communicate. Let me say that again. You cannot not communicate. And and so some of you are going like, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) Well, by not saying anything, you've just said a whole lot. Even when you say, I'm not talking to you, you're talking to them. I mean, how many husbands and wives kind of go like this? Mm. Right? There it is. There's the big communication signal going on. And the communication is, right now I can't stand your guts, mister. You better get out of the house before I shoot you. That's kind of the nonverbal communication, especially when they're doing this and pulling up and, and there's a little, you know, something, something right here that they're... They carry it around like this, or they're doing this. That kind of stuff, nonverbal communication, it's going on all the time. So you cannot not communicate. 
And you know, one of the saddest things that I see going on, even within the body of Christ, is when there are people who are talking to other people, and what they do is they just look at them, and they don't respond, they don't say anything, there's no verbal effort putting into communication, it's all nonverbal. And the nonverbal communication that's coming across is, I don't care about you. When somebody's, when somebody's talking to you and you're looking right at them and they say something to you and you don't say anything back and you look at them and then you turn away, the message that you're saying is you're not even worth the effort for me to communicate verbally to. Now, you might argue with that and go, no, 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 no. You've misread me. I just don't feel like talking. I just feel like maybe I've used up all my verbal communication throughout the day, so I just don't have anything to say. And by the way, doesn't the Bible say that silence is golden? (laughs) Or maybe you've heard this little proverb that people like to use. You know, it's better to keep your mouth shut rather than opening it and proving to everybody you're a fool. Well, you know, the, the Bible does talk, particularly in Proverbs, a lot about keeping your mouth shut, about not saying something. And that's in relationship to two things. When you're dealing with a fool, to open your mouth and to try and have a conversation with a fool is a, a waste of your time, and that's what the Proverbs is telling you. Don't spend your time. Don't ever entertain a fool because all it's going to do is cause you grief and you're going to be pulling your hair out. You're going to be going like, why in the world? You'll take a hammer and hit yourself in the head with it because you're going like, I can't get anywhere with this fool. So Proverbs says, don't don't waste your time talking to him. The other thing that it talks about are those people who are argumentative. They're always wanting to pick a verbal fight with you. And so they're always throwing these little barbs out and all these other little things are going on. And it's always this kind of thing. And so the proverb says, don't waste your time trying to have a conversation with them because that conversation is going to lead to the path of verbal destruction. So just stop it. But when Jesus calls us to communicate, he wants us to really step in and to express ourselves to one another. Communication is such a huge ordeal with God. It's a big thing. It's a humongous thing. And and what Jesus is speaking of when he's talking to us about our communication with each other, he's talking about in the household of faith first, and then communicating and speaking to those outside the household of faith. Listen, everything that exists on this planet came about by words. Did you get that? It's a phenomenal truth. Everything that exists came by words. It's the most dynamic chapter in the Bible pertaining to our world. Chapter 1 of Genesis. And we read that God spoke and all things came into being. It says, God said and it was so. God called and it was good. Then God blessed. The verbal activity of God Almighty that literally decrees our world's existence. And because we are made in the image of God, we are image bearers of God, our words carry weight too. We create just like God created. Not exactly the same. I haven't met anybody yet. that can speak into existence something that's not there. 
Only God can do that. That's a God thing. I've never heard anybody go like, behold, a plate of food. <laughs> Doesn't work. Now, you might think it works when you walk up, you drive up to McDonald's, drive, and you go, behold, Big Mac, and you drive around the other side, and there it is. And you're like, whoa, I must be God. No, that's just convenience. But our words carry a lot of weight with them. Our words are often recklessly spoken. We just throw it out there. And they carry more weight than what we can imagine. And Jesus, being the living word, he spoke everything into existence, but he understood the implications of our words, so he gave us a strong warning about being careless with our words. And that's found in Matthew 12 as well. It says this, this is what Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Some of you are probably going like, I've never seen that in the Bible before. Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to cut it out. I don't like it. You can cut it out all you want. God still said it, and it's still true. And our words really carry a lot of weight. And what it means is that there are no unimportant words that we speak in our day. You've heard the the saying, idle chit-chat. Not according to this passage. There's no such thing as idle chit-chat. There's no such thing as going on taking a break from watching how I speak and what I say. It it, it means that everything that I say has, has implications to it. Matter of fact, this week... There was an event that took place in the realm of Christendom that rocked the world of people around it. Here's what happened. One of the great theologians and spiritual thinkers and pastor of our day was interviewed and quoted as saying, he has found many from the LGBT community to be as spiritual as he is. And he was asked, hypothetically, if you were a pastor today, and by the way, he's 84 And he quit pastoring 25 years ago. So it says, hypothetically, if you were a pastor today, and if a gay gay couple came to you, and if they asked you to marry him, would you marry him? And he responded, yes. That man's name is Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message and many other books on spiritual formation and walking with God. And that, that answer that he gave in that interview shook the Christian world, around the world. Because everybody's going like, what's happened to Eugene? Why has he gone off the reservation? He said something that's absolutely horrible. And so there are all kinds of things that, that went on and took place in, in, over the week. And, and so this is what happens. The statement of Peterson's got so fired up and nobody really talked to him about the whole ordeal, that on Friday he issued a statement. And I'm just going to share a portion of that statement with you because this man is important to the Christian world. I'm telling you, highly important. And so he offered up his statement that, that um, you can read online. Here's what he said. Recently a reporter asked me whether my, whether my personal opinions about homosexuality 
and same-sex marriage have changed over the years. I presume I was asked this question because of my former career as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA, which recently affirmed homosexuality and began allowing its clergy to perform same-sex weddings. Having retired from the pastor more than 25, year ago, 25 years ago, I acknowledged to the reporter that I haven't had a lot of experience with it. To clarify, I affirm a biblical view of marriage, one man to one woman. I affirm a biblical view of everything. He goes on to say, when put on the spot by this particular interviewer, I said yes in the moment. But upon further reflection and prayer, I would like to retract that. That's not something I would do out of respect to the congregation with the larger church body and the historical biblical Christian view and teaching on marriage. That said, I would still love such a couple as their pastor. They'd be welcome at my table along with everyone else. When I told this reporter that there are gay and lesbian people who seem to have as good a spiritual life as I do, I meant it. But then again, the goodness of a spiritual life is functionally irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. We are saved by faith through grace that operates independent of our resolve or our good behavior. It operates by the hand of a loving God who desires for us to live in grace and truth and who does not tire of turning us toward both grace and truth. That's the rebuttal that he gave to his own simple question of answer of yes on, per, on further thought. Now, the question that we should be asking ourselves this morning is why would Eugene Peterson care about how his words affect other people? After all, he's 84 years old. He's probably going to kick the bucket within the next 84 years, just to be safe. He did it because he knows that God has given him a voice to a larger community the most. When he speaks... His voice has repercussions not only in North America, but also in Europe and in Africa and Southeast Asia and in South America and Central America because there are pastors all around the world that he has trained and taught. There are people that read his books. How many of you actually here either read the message on your phone or in another book? Just raise your hand up if you've read the message. There's a number of you who have read his work And it's marvelous. And so what he's saying is is that my words carry a lot of weight. And what he did not want to do was cause someone who was walking in faith, following God's word, to hear what he had said and change their position from being biblical to being Eugene Peterson incorrect. So he brought everything back to the glory of God's word. Because he understood how important his words were to the larger faith community. And I think if more people in the church understood what Peterson knows about careless words, we would have a different reputation in our own community. Because in Matthew 15, Jesus said, 
But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. It's not eating unkosher food. It's not drinking a glass of wine. It's not smoking a cigarette or a cigar or a pipe like somebody I know that lives in my house. I'm not saying you. None of that stuff defiles you. It may not be that healthy for you, but it does not defile you. What Jesus says is the things that come out of your mouth are the things that defile you. And apparently what came out of Peterson's mouth didn't match what his heart was. And so after prayer and seeking God, he made the decision to get his words to line up with his heart. But our words have a much greater impact than what we often think. Our words carry a lot of weight. And by the way, just look around at all the little people. There's a bunch here. There's some over here. There's a couple right here. There's two over there. These little people are listening to what you're saying. They have ears on. They hear you. More is caught than taught. Remember, I've said that a a bunch of times. And so what I want to do is I want to go and look and see what Paul says about it because Paul was a pretty smart cookie and he had some stuff to say, especially to the Ephesians church. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul said to the church, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This verse is a verse that I often need to be reminded of because, as I said before, you know, I've already probably, my wife's going to say, you shouldn't have said that. When we get back home, she's going to go like, hey, you probably shouldn't have said that thing about smoking the pipe because people don't get the wrong idea. (laughs) Okay, well, all right, I'm not that that good at it anyway, and I don't like it that much. I just do it once in a while under peer pressure. (laughs) And I don't inhale. (laughs) But this verse is one of those things, corrupting talk out of my mouth, only what is good for building up. That's a thing that I've struggled with my whole life because sometimes I will cut people down and think it's really funny. And it hurts them deeply. And it is not funny. It is not funny. In this passage, Paul is emphasizing the positive over the negative. The Greek word translated corrupting means rotten or foul. In original reference to rotten fruit and vegetables. And being a Christ follower means we don't use foul, dirty language. And for some reason, many people within the church think it's no big big deal to use vulgar humor, dirty jokes, foul language. But this kind of talk has no place in the life of a Christ follower. And sometimes I just have to shake my head in disbelief at some of the things that come out of the mouths of parents. And the crazy thing is they wonder why their kids have foul mouths. We have an epidemic of disrespectful, foul-mouthed, vulgar kids that don't care about their language or who they're using it with. It's crazy. 
You just go stand in Safeway for a little bit and watch a four or five-year-old that has the mouth like a sailor. They make sailors blush. It's ridiculous, the things that are going on. And the thing that it seems to me that parents have lost the art of creative conversation with their kids. They fall prey to being unimaginative when it comes to talking to them and bringing a discussion to the table that they need to deal with their kids. And so out of frustration or anger, they just cuss at them. And then they're wondering why little Johnny gets hauled to the principal's office for cussing out the teacher. It's enough to make a, pe- a preacher swear. And then they get mad at their kids because they use the words that they hear from mom and dad. And the parents don't even seem to be embarrassed by their children's language. They're not embarrassed by it. How many of you have ever heard of a hand soap uh, bar, bar soap called lava? Lava soap. I ate a lot of that when I was a kid. <laughs> I should be blind. I'm just saying. And that wasn't like I was even using the words that the kids down the street were using. It was just I was saying stuff that my mom and dad go, oh, come over here. Here, eat this for about an hour. Sit right there. And you can't tilt your head forward, tilt it back. So you get the full flavor of it. I can't even taste my pipe when I smoke it. You know, here's what Paul says about us when we become Christ followers. I just love it because this, this, this is a picture for us and it gives us hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Though old has passed away, behold, the new has come. I mean, that's a hallelujah right there. You guys should have been giving me a, like a... High five, hallelujah, praise the Lord, kind of Jimmy thing, kind of, because this, this is what saves your bacon right here. This is it right here. This is what God is calling. Being in Christ means everything becomes new. Everything becomes new. Your marriage becomes new. Your style of parenting becomes new. Your job that you hate becomes new. Your, your language becomes new. All that stuff becomes new because you're in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. That means our, our old corrupting talk, our old de- degrading conversations, our disper- disrespectful dialogues, our vulgar humor, dirty jokes, and so on, are no longer part of our lives, and we choose to let our words be used for building up others and giving grace to those who hear us talk. As I said earlier, our unchurched neighbors and friends, especially those with whom we are most comfortable, will hear things coming out of our mouths that are no different than the rest of the world, which indicates we have not become a new creation. We have not become wholly set apart for God. That is the witness that really makes a difference in people's lives. I really believe there are two things. First of all, what Jesus said is that the world will know we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. And out of that is by the way we use our words when we're with one another and when we're with the others. It makes a big difference. (laughs) 
a few years ago, I went on an early morning fishing thing down to the canyon. And um, the two fellows I was waiting with, um, one of them um, attends here. I, I can't tell you his name. He owned a Wind River Outdoor store. <laughs> and the other one was a, a mutual friend of ours who was a, a doctor. He, he no longer lives in this town. And the doc says to the man not to be named, hey, why aren't we hitting the road? He goes, well, we're waiting for Ken Simon. He goes, not the preacher. Yeah. He goes, why would you bring the preacher along? He goes, the man not to be named said, well, what's the big deal? He goes, what if I want to drop the F-bomb or something? Why would you want to drop the F-bomb? Well, you know, we're just with the guys, and guys do that. And the man not to be named said, you drop the F-bomb around your wife and any other woman that's around. It's not the preacher that's going to make a difference. And by the way, Ken doesn't care what you say. We had a great time fishing, and, you know, uh, actually he reported to my wife that he had a really good time fishing with me, but he did say this to my wife, your husband has a filthy mouth. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I'm telling you the honest truth. Nothing. So here's, here's you know, our, our neighbors, they see us, and when someone hears how we talk about our spouse or our co-workers or our boss, about our neighbors or our our fellow Christ followers, and even the people we just kind of know in town, what they often hear is gossip and slander, straight-up bad, degrading language that should never come out of a Christ follower's mouth, ever, never. And that, my friends, is unacceptable in the household of faith. James, in, in the first chapter of his letter, he said this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. (laughs) Your religion is worthless if you can't keep a, a tight rein on your tongue. If you can't keep from gossiping, if you can't keep from slandering, if you can't keep from telling dirty jokes, if you can't keep from swearing, if you can't keep from saying things that are degrading and and hurtful to other people, James says, take what you know about God and throw it in the trash can because it's worthless. It won't amount to anything. He goes on to say this in chapter 3. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What does your pond pour forth? What comes out of your mouth? Because right now, we've, we've, like John said, we've had an amazing time of worshiping God this morning. It, it, it's high worship. The, the throne room of God was filled with the incense of our praise. It was thick for God. And He rewarded us by sending His Holy Spirit to fall thick 
upon us in this, in this room. And it's been absolutely amazing. But we have got to be careful because we can walk right out those doors out the back, get on our car, and start driving home. And, and some of the climbers who are in town cut us off on the way. And the next thing we know, we're cursing them. And it can't be that way. We need to say, hey, yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. I'm all right. I had my foot on the brake. I'm not going to hit you. You're good. Thank you for coming to Lander. Come back real soon, y'all. You know, over the, the past year, how, you know, I've had a bunch of people come up to my house, and about a year ago, we had this little tragic accident take place up at our, in our neighborhood up on Broken Arrow Road. Um, I was driving home, and my neighbors have um, these little yappy dogs. They look like, to me, miniature... Yeah, huskies. I was going to say dog poop, but that probably wouldn't be nice. So I'm not going to say that because we're talking about watching your tongue. I'm not going to say it. Miniature huskies, and then they had this little skinny black lap. And, and they have this um, electric fence. You know, it's wireless electric fence up, and it runs off the thing. And so there's a little thing on there. When the dogs get too close, it beeps. If they go too, too far, it shocks them and sends them back towards the house. Well, apparently my neighbors turned it off, and the black lab had grown deaf and couldn't hear the beeper, and so this little black lab, as I'm driving right past their shed, their, their shop, it goes right through the fence, which was shocking to me, but it ran underneath, right in, behind my front tire, and it got, I heard it go, plunk, 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 and it popped out the other side, and I got out and looked, and it, it looked at me like, Mr., you're the meanest man I've ever met in my life. And it took off running, so I pulled in, and I went and talked to my neighbor, and I said, look, Kevin, here's what happened. Your dog ran underneath my truck, got hit, knocked up, and it's hurt pretty bad. And he's kind of like, oh. I said, no, 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 she's hurt really bad. He's like, oh. So then he went and looked for her, and the short story is they had to put the dog down. Now, the problem is, is that when Kevin told his wife what happened, he said, I ran over her dog and killed it. She didn't, he didn't give the story that the dog ran underneath my truck. There's nothing I could do to even stop. Boom, boom. And, and so for, <laughs> for those of you that drove up to my house over the next little while, she'd be out there flagging you down in the middle of the road going like this. And it didn't matter how slow you were going. She's going to tell you you were going too fast because speed kills. And so people were getting flagged down. And not only was she telling you to slow down, then she would tell you that I murdered her dog. And this went on for quite a while. And a lot of people coming to my house were getting a little bit irritated. It's just a little bit embarrassing and irritating that this lady was doing it. And so I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do to get her to shut her pie hole? And just knock it off. I'm just serious about this whole thing. I, I was fed up with it, and I was about ready to drive down there and give her something I couldn't afford to give her, and that was a piece of my mind. And so before I did that, though, God brought a verse to my mind, and he told me to live this verse with her. Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You want to know the first step of dealing with a tongue that's out of control? Start blessing. Don't curse, bless. I started, I told God that every time I saw her or her husband outside, 
uh, in their yard, if I saw them in the shop, if I saw them in the window of their house, if I saw them driving in their vehicle out of, the how, out of their place or into their place, I would pray a prayer of blessing upon both her and her husband. And I did that for this whole last year. On Friday, we had an HOA meeting. She's the secretary of our HOA. She was so kind and so pleasant and so much of a joy to be around. It was amazing. And she told me how much she loves our dog that goes down and visits her quite often. And, and I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. Because that was all God. All I was doing was stepping into obedience where God called me to obey. We would still be having a feud if I wasn't obedient to God because God worked through obedience. It wasn't me. It was all God. And our relationship has been mended by the Spirit of God. So that leads me to 1 Peter 3. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you for hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. If people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what good life you live because you belong to Christ. So the question really that pours out for us this morning is what's to be done then to tame the tongue? If God has declared that no one can tame the tongue, then how can we begin to do so? While many people have quit smoking or drinking or other bad habits through the power of human will, the problem of the heart and the tongue cannot be solved by human power. It takes the power of the resurrected Christ within us to control the tongue, and that power is available only to those who turn their lives over to Him. As with so many things in life, what is impossible with man is only possible with God. There is only one who can control the tongue. Only by God's Spirit living within us can we hope to gain control over our tongues. He convicts us when we sin with our lips, and that conviction drives us to repent and pray for more filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can avoid further sin. As we cling to Him and yield to Him in obedience, He controls us more and more, including our tongues. So here's what I want you to take to heart. I've got four passages left for you. I am not going to give any commentary on any of them. They speak for themselves. Write them down. These are the things you practice and step into in obedience following Christ. Here's what it says. Psalm um, 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our words should demonstrate the power of God's grace in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May God enable us to use our words as an instrument of His love and saving grace. And the last one comes from Jesus as He prayed for us, for those who He had, who had not seen Him yet, who would believe without seeing. He offered up a prayer in John chapter 17 for us, and this is what He said to His Father. Make them holy by Your truth. Teach them Your word, which is truth.
Amen? Our Father, I thank you that you have given us the prescription for dealing with a runaway tongue, with thoughts and our words that do not reflect your glory, doesn't reflect that we're new people. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts today, even as we come now. I pray, Father, if there are any who, who need to come and do business with you, repent from issues, find help with your Holy Spirit, have someone pray with them or over them or, or for them, that they would not hesitate to listen to your Spirit's call on their voice, on, on their ears. We thank you, God, that you love us, that you care deeply about every aspect of our life. And you, this is one area you, you really want us to, to get right and put under the control of your Holy Spirit. So help us. Help us to be holy people. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Listen, if, if during the songs, the Spirit of God has been speaking to you. Remember John told us at the beginning that the condemnation beats you up, but, but conviction is calling you to move in a certain area, just come up here and, and, and have someone. If you want to pray by yourself, come up here and pray by yourself. If you want someone to pray for you or over you, you can do that. As Lorenzo said, if there's a physical ailment that you need uh, anointing with oil and prayer for, we've got the oil right there. We've got the elders. They're all ready to go. We've got people ready to pray. So if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, don't hesitate. Come and do business with God.